Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Prospect Podcast. I'm Steve Bloomfield. The war in Syria is now eight years old, longer than the Second World War, and shows no sign of ending. But the daily horror has slipped from the headlines. The current bombardment of Idlib by Syrian government and Russian forces has been ignored by too many of us. A new film by Wad al-Khatib will shake you out of any sense of apathy. Wad documented the siege of Aleppo in 2016. You might have seen her reports on Channel 4 News. Her film, Fosama, named after her daughter who was born during the war, details that siege and life in the hospital that Wad's husband, Hamza, set up. We'll be talking to Wad in a moment, but first I'm joined by Samir Rahim, our arts and books editor, uh, who, like me, watched the film. Um, Samir, before we talk about the film, um, perhaps if you could give us a bit of a pricey of where we are with the war in Syria. A lot of people thought recently that the war might be coming towards an end, and it's true that in about 60 to 70% of Syria, um, much of it has been retaken by the government, but there have been enclaves and quite large enclaves, which have been, um, until recently, quite independent. Idlib, which is one of the earliest places to uh, launch the revolution, has been under constant bombardment recently from uh, Russian planes, um, similar somewhat to the uh, uh, situation in Aleppo that the film we saw for summer um, is about. I saw a report in The Economist that the UN had given the coordinates of the hospitals and health centres to the Russian government to try and indicate to them where they shouldn't bomb. But in fact, as soon as they did that, the Russians started bombing them. Um, so it's the same tactics, bombing hospitals. Um, you know, it's, it, These are war crimes that are happening every day. And uh, many people have been forced to uh, flee again to the border and to Turkey. Um forced to leave their homes so it is a pretty destructive event but i think we might have syria fatigue in some ways it somehow thinks like it's somehow a conflict that's so complicated people feel or it's been dragging on so long or they just want it to be over and even now you have discussions about whether we should drop sanctions on syria give money for reconstruction but really the war isn't over and it's funny you say it's complicated and 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 yes it is but there's also something very simple about what's happening right now, which is Syrian and Russian forces are are bombing 
hospitals. They're bombing civilians. These are war crimes. There's, there's nothing complicated about that. That's true. And if that echoes uh, a Syrian friend of mine who said, yeah, you know, it is complicated, but also it is actually quite simple. There are, there are innocent civilians there. Of course, they're rebels of various stripes, jihadists. Um, until recently, ISIS and certainly remnants of ISIS are, are there. So that does complicate things. Um, but we shouldn't be distracted by the fact that the Syrian government and its Russian allies have committed 90% of the atrocities in the country. And they are really um, the reason why people aren't returning there and don't want to. This film for Sama is made by Wad al-Khatib, um, who was uh, a correspondent for Channel 4 News. She was an assistant journalist originally and then started uh, sending her reports to Channel 4 News and, and working with them. And they've um, also uh, worked with her on this film. Um, it's an incredibly... I mean, it's a horrible, horrible film to watch. It's it's just... It's, it's horrific, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's this, it's a film that has the most uh, dead bodies that I think that I've ever seen. Certain little images stay with me. I think the hospital floor covered with with this blood, red blood, um, stays with me. And there's one scene in which um, uh, a boy is brought in dead from a, a, an airstrike and the mother comes in and just takes the child and goes out into the streets and starts, you know... Uh, wailing and screaming and uh, it, it is extremely powerful um and, and the boy's brothers yeah. as well who who bring him in these two i mean they're i mean what nine ten years old bringing in their, their younger brother who's just been killed um i think if you in terms of the drama of the story it's incredibly effective but i think it also does tell a real story about um what it takes for people to behave in in some ways in a heroic way so in a way it's a very depressing film as you said because it it shows all the horror but it shows um the solidarity that people can have the camaraderie people willing to sacrifice their own lives effectively um for a cause which they believe in which they think is just and for each other as well so that's the funny thing about the syrian story um i find it both sort of very depressing but also inspiring at the same time and Sama, um, the daughter of Wad and Hamza, she sort of serves as yeah, as a beacon of hope, not just for, for us as an audience watching, um, but and obviously not just for her parents, but oddly also for everyone else who, who works with Hamza in the hospital. Yeah, that, they keep her alive in some ways. I mean, it's interesting, they called her Sama Sama, I think, which is um, Arabic for sky, which is sort of ironic in some ways because it's from the sky which the... Um, the, the the bombs are dropping um, but it's also about the idea of you know the openness of the sky and the, the hope that they have uh, for the future um, you know when we talked to her she uh, I think there was and in the film there's a slight level of discomfort maybe when they you know to what extent were they using this child <laughs> um, uh, and putting her in a dangerous situation for the sake of themselves and that's that's something that's uh, explored in, in quite interesting way um, I think that um, uh, it's a great tribute to the people who didn't survive that siege and also um, it humanises the people who, when we hear about you know, a bombing here or we see pictures of bombing in a sanitised fashion, um, it really makes us see what that actually means. Samir, thank you. Uh, and up next, we'll be joined by Wad al-Khatib, the filmmaker who created For Summer. 
How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to The Prospect Podcast with me, Steve Bloomfield. Uh, still with us here, Samir Rahim. Uh, and also, I'm very pleased to say we've been joined by Wad Al-Khatib, uh, the producer, director, and the person in uh, the film for Sama. Uh, Wad, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me here. Um, can we start by um, going back to before 2011 um, and your life in Syria? Tell us a bit about yourself what your life was like leading up to the moment the revolution began? Uh, I'm from a family middle class, uh, like good educational family. And uh, we were living very normally as many of the Syrian people, which is uh, you can't work in anything in public. Everything you need to be, it's just about yourself, your family. And if you were like trying to do anything out of this, you will be in very long and big troubles. Uh, the One of the main uh, memories that I have that when I was 15 and um, you automatically will be part of Al-Ba'ath party, the main party that uh, for the Assad regime uh, family. And uh, I've just refused to sign the paper directly. I wanted to sign it, but not now. And I wanted just to ask my parents about what does that mean and if I really want this or I want to understand more about this. And since that time, I was like like in the blacklist of the school because I refused this. So the life wasn't that easy, but at the same time, it was just like so easy in, in the way that you are just responsible of yourself. 
So in 2011, when the, the protests broke out, did you immediately feel like this was an opportunity to, to, to change the country, to change Syria? Like we were waiting what will happen next in Syria. And that's uh, directly after what happened in Tunisia and uh, Libya and Egypt. We were thinking that does that really maybe that will happen in Syria? And we were not just waiting. We were really hunger of any change in our life. Uh, all the people who I know in my generation, we all have that plans to go out of Syria when we will be uh, graduated from the university. And in 2011, it was the first time I feel that this is my country. I, I want to stay here. I want to do something in my country. It's interesting, the sense of fear that you described um, with, the, with the birth party and, and, and the Assad regime, it seemed to disappear very quickly and that people seemed incredibly confident. And in the film, it seems that um, people were out protesting, chanting. Um, there was a real sense of optimism that things could be done and, and peacefully as well. Yeah, because all people were so terrifying of any change in our life. We 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 knew that this regime is so like bloody regime. They will not. They will stop for nothing just to destroy the people. But at the same time, we felt that like the revolution could be something will never happen because of people of people fears. But suddenly, when the first people went into the street and then they were joined with more people with the time. We felt that, no, this is reality and this is what happened. And this is not just like for now or it should, it could, it should have been like happened maybe 20 years ago and we are just like so late of this. And just like, you know, when you hear your voice out for the first time and you can't really believe that this is re really happening. So it was just like something like we need it. You were 18 at the time, in 2011? Yeah, I was 19. 19. And you decided to pick up a camera? It wasn't a decision, actually. Like, yeah, I want to do this now. But when we started the protesting, we were thinking about every individual, how we can support the revolution. And filming was one of the main things that we knew as people that we needed. Uh, the all the formal channels and everything in our media in Syria before and at the beginning of the revolution, it's all under the regime control, like 100%. You can't write a single word out of what they will tell you to write. So we knew that the media is something so important to, uh, to let people understand inside and outside that there's a revolution in Syria. And part of that was like filming the protest in the street. And what did you then do with that footage? Because, I mean, some of the footage that, that you filmed early on when it became clear that the regime was was going to do everything it could to crush the, the revolution were, was brutal. What did you... What was the decision that you made to do with that footage? Many people uh, from my friends and people who were filming, we were sharing these uh, videos on YouTube for normal channels and sometimes for international channels or local channels, Arabs or... Uh, in the area around but for me especially like I I couldn't really separate myself from being an activist and journalist at the same time so I remember the first video I show it to my cousin who was like uh, more professional than me and I was sh showing him a very nice protest in the university and I was like chanting while I'm filming and like jumping and whatever and he was telling me like no 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 this is not working at all. Like this video, you will keep it in your archive, but you can't publish it anywhere. <laughs> and at that time, I realized that if I want to go with in this way, I need to be more like calm. <laughs> I, know, I want to be like more separate from the event itself. 
and I couldn't make it. So I've just kept filming in the way that I felt I want to be myself in this. And that's continue until the end of the siege where you feel like most of this footage, it's more mixed between my personal story and the general story that was happening. The siege itself in Aleppo was must have been a terrifying experience. It certainly comes across like that. And the scenes, particularly in the hospital, where there's a lot of um, death um, and uh, uh, excruciating to watch, really, and must have been to experience. Um, so did you have to make a decision when how much, how graphic the film was going to be? Yeah, exactly. Like, we've we've worked through the, this film for two years, and one of the main discussions every day, everything about every scene in the film was about sh- shall we like make people seeing this or n- not this and that g- uh, give me more uh, understanding when i worked with edward the uh, my fellow director on the film we were discussing really every scene about like what we want to sh- uh, show people and but the first thing that we were both agree was we need to not shelter people. We need people to understand what war means. We want to let people like seeing these uh, images exactly as we've seen it. Uh, of course, we didn't put everything we have, and what I've put in the film it was maybe ten percent of what uh, the horror that I just personally have. And you can imagine how many other people has more other footage around Aleppo. And we've made uh, one test screening before we finished the film and it was too much for people to see. So we came back to the editing and we did another like uh, step back of the footage that we've shown in the film until we felt that this is the line when people can really watch and same time can understand exactly what what war means. In the Western media, often we have very sanitized news reports. We don't get to see much. I know in the in the Arab world, it's slightly different. There seems to be more, um, perhaps you could say, honesty about, you know, as you were saying, what war uh, actually means. Do you think there's a difference between how Western audiences and, say, Syrian audiences are, would react to this? Yeah, this exactly, yes. Uh, and actually, this is for, in my personal uh, perspective, this is why Western audience are so far from what's happening really on, on the ground in Syria. Uh, I understand that they they can't maybe afford seeing this, but this is happening to human beings around the world. And the fact that just like close your eyes and don't see this, that's not means that that's all not happened. This is what's happening, and this is happening right now as we're speaking in Idlib, the last area out of the regime control. And we need people outside to understand that what war really means, what this prize that people is really sacrificing their lives and people like ch- children's lives. And just like felt that as the Syrian people faced this and go went through this experience. It could have happened at any place around the world, in the UK, in the US, in any place. This is not just something so far. This is could be here. You mentioned what's happening in in Idlib now. Um, when the siege was taking place in Aleppo, it was headline news around the world. You know, partly because also of of, of your reports that were that you were uh, making for Channel Four News. Do you feel now, looking on at what's happening in Idlib, that we have forgotten and that we have ignored what's the the horror that's happening there? Yeah, unfortunately, like 
all the news and the channels, like just going to a news if it's just a new. For them, Aleppo was a so famous uh, city and the siege was something not happened a lot before. So they feel that this is something really like exciting and new things. While now it's in Idlib the same thing, which happened three years ago. But unfortunately, like we can't understand how the world is like communicating with this uh, issues. It's now happening and all these people, like more than three million people are besieged in this, in this area. And uh, there's no even nowhere for them to go to. So I feel that this film is so important because it's just bringing Syria news again to the news again in a way that people can understand what this life look like and how people really go through this experience and how what the details of the details of this life and maybe like I hope that will be a little bit of the change that we hope all to achieve. Now the the, now the, the Syrian government and uh, the Russians who who were bombing Aleppo, uh, they were saying that they you know they were bombing terrorist enclaves in Aleppo and they were they were sort of reclaiming the city for for the for the country. Um, Obviously, you have a very different perspective on that. But what would you say to people who said, you know, the government was just trying to take control of its own country? I don't have a different perspective. I have an evidence of that. I have this film. I have a normal life of not just my family, but other family. And you've seen in the film how people live through this ex- uh, experience and under this bad circumstances you've seen this baby who was just born because of an attack happened and this baby who just like maybe 30 minutes uh, from his life he's being like trying to be survived and this is can't be a tourist it's all everything that Assad regime and the Russian trying to claim it's all just like you can see in the film that this is something not what they trying to say and the direct targeting of hospitals is one of the most shocking things uh, that you, you exposed. Yeah, and unfortunately, like if we want to just look back three years ago and just look back three months ago, it's more than 50 health facilities were targeted in Idlib and the countryside around. It's just their system and their uh, way of dealing with uh, people who's just uh, abused them. How have your views changed of the West? Um, you know, whether that's America, Britain, Europe more generally, in terms of, you know, before all this began, did you think that the West was potentially a force for good? Did you see countries like America as countries that could uh, help people around the world? How have, how have your views changed over the years? Like we've had, we had thought that people around the world when you come to uh, principles like the democracy, the freedom, people will be all together for these principles. And we were really shocked that for us we were thinking when we were inside Aleppo besieged and threatened to be killed at any moment that that's just because we are so far from them. That's maybe because they don't know what was happening. But when I was like out and I've seen the people here, I've seen their own problem and their own struggle for keeping their democracy and their freedom. I felt that maybe we need to be more like, not just thinking about how they couldn't do what 
they should have done before, but it's also about how we can be all together in this to help them more understand what war means. And the fact that the film, uh, and in the tour of the film, when we went to many places around the world, I was really shocked how people are really care about others. I thought that, and we've been told, not just I thought, uh, when we were doing the film, we've been told that uh, people around the world will not want to watch film like any more films about Syria, any more films about refugee or about death, like they are just want something more, like more uh, funny, more uh, joy and more happiness. And when we were like moving with the film, I felt like the reaction of the people around the world, it's all were really amazing. People were not just like move, move with the film, but also they were asking us at any, at every screening, what can we do? And just the fact that they don't want just to watch, they want to make an action for this. They, they've, I've seen many people who come to me with all like the tears in their eyes asking me like, sorry, how we did that happen to you? And I'm still have a lot of faith in people. Maybe I lost all my faith in the governments, but I'm still have faith that these people will not let this world going to the darkness as we've seen now. And yet, you know, you've seen governments ignore what's happening in Syria and then you've seen governments treat people like yourself who've then sought refuge in the West, treated them as if, you know, we frankly don't want you here. How do you, how does that make you feel? I'm not thinking about this. <laughs> I'm really like, we don't, we don't want to be here, actually. Like, we would love to be in Aleppo now, like... Keep fighting, not just like I'm not speaking about being there uh, in a very comfortable way. We wanted to be in that battle. We didn't want to force to flee out. And this is maybe one point when we can start the conversation about Syria. Like, let the Assad go out of Syria or let the Assad fall. And we will all, as refugees, will be back to our country. Like, no one of us dreamt to be a refugee when we will be like 18 or 20. We all wanted to be in our country doing like very well in the freedom that we wanted to fight for, to have it. And really, it could be something we can start the conversation with. And it's all about the fears. It's all about the uh, dictatorship that they are trying to build that fears through uh, people's minds and make people be more close instead of being like more open and more open to yourself, to the people around you, to the life. Uh, just we need a lot of really work, hard work. Speaking of leaving your country and being and being forced to, there's a moment in the film where you, your husband, and Samar uh, are able to leave Aleppo, but then you decide to come back, even though it's incredibly dangerous. And uh, I think in the film, you said that you didn't, you know, you weren't really sure why you did it. But I wonder if you reflected. Uh, have reflected since then, and they, why did you return? What was it that motivated you to to go back into such a dangerous situation? We've been in this uh, situation in Aleppo for five years since 2011, when the revolution started, and we knew that this uh, journey will be so long, and it will like take a lot of effort and a lot of uh, like people who've been killed, people in the prisons, and a lot of really hard work to achieve the freedom that we all dream of. But we didn't saw that one day it will be like the choice that it's even your safety with your child or like your freedom or you're fighting for your freedom. 
And at, the, at that moment, we felt that like we can't just let people behind and go and think about our own safety. And we can't be selfish as that uh, in that situation. And as Hamza, as a doctor, he has a very big role in the hospital to achieve and to do and to help people, to treat people, and even to give people some hope and some uh, like feeling that there's someone here for us. And for me, as a citizen journalist, as a person who have a great relationship with channels outside, I can I felt that I could have really make made uh, a difference in the media situation in Aleppo. And just like think about Salim and Afra, the other family who's also in the film, and we can't just like leave them with their kids inside and just think about our own safety. There's, I mean, there are so many wonderful moments in the film, but one of them that really stayed with me was um, was their son um, uh, when you were talking to him and uh, about about his uh, his friends who've left and how he'd yeah he'd drawn little uh, pictures of all of them and uh, and you asked him you know what he 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 would say to him if he could <laughs> he said I would uh, you know I'd ask God to forgive them for uh, for leaving me here. There was this real sense of you know, no one wanted to go. Did they? Yeah, yeah. It was like I've seen him before, one year before this, when we knew that maybe the siege will happen and maybe we will leave all. And he was just like crying that I don't want to leave. He was like, you feel him like he's full of like fears and he's so scary. But at the same time, like he's just thinking about I don't want to leave Aleppo. And it's really like all so complicated really to, to explain. How are you all, yourself, Hamza, and your children, how are you all coping with being here in, in the UK? What is your life like now? Uh, like there's a feeling of um, a little bit, uh, we are okay because we were forced to flee. We didn't left people behind uh, when we left. And the other things about the film itself, that being in this process for two years, trying to just make the film as perfect as we can. And then now going in the uh, tour ab- uh, around with the film to speak about Syria again and what happened and speak about what's going on right now in Idlib. It's all give us like some of reason why we are here and what we are trying to achieve. Uh, we're trying and on the other hand to start adopt with a new life and just feeling that I need to do this for my kids now to being like grow up in a safe place with the life that they really deserve it. So I'm trying just to like think in the positive way of why we are here. I'm going to ask you an impossible question. If in 2011 you knew what would happen and um, and the attacks the government would would um, uh, would rain down on you, would you still do the same thing? Exactly. Yes, this is so easy for me to to answer this question, and I say it in the film, and I wanted to to really say it in very direct way in the film that I will never regret anything happened, uh, and I think not just me but many other Syrians feel that we were late. Okay, we'll leave it there. Wad al Khatib, thank you very much indeed. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ 
the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. That's all for this week's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Wad al-Khatib's film for summer is out now in cinemas nationwide uh, and it will be on Channel 4 as well at the end of October. Uh, Rebecca Liu was this week's producer. If you enjoyed the Prospect podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. It really does help other listeners find us. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye.